a series called I Dare You. And everybody likes a good dare, but before we, we jump into things, no, we're not going into fear factor. I'm not going to try to eat any weird foods today or anything like that. Uh, that would not be good. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Sound good? Yes. Father, thank you in this hour and in this moment, the minutes that we have together, I'm praying that you would help us. God, I'm praying that you'd help us. God, hear what you have to say to us. God, that we'd be gripped by you and your presence today. God, we want to be more like you. I want you to use us to do great things. Amen. So in the late 1800s, there was a gentleman, a salesman. Back in the day, days of traveling salesmen, my grandfather was a traveling phone salesman. So I got to hear all these stories. Now, he wasn't alive at this point, but in 1891, in the days of the briefcase traveling salesman, there was a man by the name, a young guy, William Wrigley Jr., and he used to sell baking powder, and he used to sell soap. That's what it was. He used to sell soap and baking powder. He wasn't super successful. But as he, was, as he was packaging up his products and he was going from house to house and business to business and selling baking powder and selling soap, he would put a little bit of an incentive, a little, a little cherry on top for the purchaser. He would put this little bitty stick of gum inside the very thing that he was selling. And as he was selling things, he discovered something. That people weren't that interested in his baking powder, and they weren't that interested in his soap. But you know what they loved? They loved that free stick of gum, baby. And being a smart salesman after trying and trying and trying to get his baking powder off the ground and his soap off the ground, he decided, well, bump this. I'm going to start a gum company. And he started Wrigley. That's exactly right. And so this company, this traveling salesman, starts out and he launched two revolutionary gums called Sweet 16 Orange, baby, and a lot of gum. And then he launched the most aggressive marketing campaign in the history of the United States up to this time. They got the phone books of every city and state, and they mailed a stick of gum to every listing in the U.S. to make sure that everybody knew that gum was cool, and <laughs> you should be chewing it. <clears throat> I'm, not a huge big, I'm not a huge big gum guy. The only gum I was really ever into was Big League Chew. You know that's right. <laughs> In the dugout, rocking my grape-flavored Big League Chew, you know, with the bulge in the side of the mouth, it was legendary. But in 1893, they, they, they rocked another two kinds of gums. What were those gums called? They were spearmint, double spearmint, and juicy fruit. Anybody remember the commercials, you know, with the song? Juicy fruit. 
It's going to move you. Oh, yeah. It's, it's still. Their marketing was amazing. It's been 20 years probably since I've heard the song, and I can sing it from top to bottom. And so they became so successful this company went on to be and still is in 50 nations, distributing products in over 180 countries. They went on in the late 1800s to buy a particular field that you might be familiar with called Wrigley Field. Same guy, based out of Chicago. And then they started Skittles. And then they started Starburst. Thank you, God. The gift from the heavens. Double spearmint gum, Altoids, Lifesavers, Big Red, Juicy Fruit, Orbit. That's right. You're getting an education today. <laughs> and as I was reading this story, it just reminded me of something. Because all too often, we're so busy trying to give the very thing that God isn't actually interested in. There's like this little stick of gum, so to speak, that we have and we think it's not that big of a deal and we think it's not that important, but that's the very thing that God is after. And all too often we find ourselves spinning our wheels trying to give God this and what God has been after and knocking on the door of our heart about the entire time is this little thing right over here. As I read this story, I began to think of, of our series we're in, I Dare You. Now, obviously, my man, Wrigley Jr., he got his priorities right, switched things up, and obviously has built one of the most successful companies in the United States history. But all too often for us, when it comes to our relationship with God, we're like the guy with the suitcase trying to give God our wares of, of God. Don't you want this? Can I give you this? Can I sell you this? And God is after that stick of gum that you've got in the back pocket that you think is not that important, that's not that significant. And that's the very thing God is knocking on the door of your heart about. Don't believe me? Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 10. You got a phone, you can download an app called YouVersion. You can follow along on your iPad, your phone, whatever. If you've got a paper Bible, you are a living legend. Or you can follow along behind me. Mark chapter 10, 17 through 23. Jesus had started on his way, and a man ran up to him. And he fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shouldn't murder you shouldn't commit adultery, you shouldn't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, 
Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Cuts to the quick. Now, before you begin to, uh, the temperature begins to rise in your own spirit. And so this is not a message about money today. As first glance, you might think that this is instruction about how to be giving and how to be generous. And then that is a, there's much to be learned in, from that. But there's a much bigger picture here that's taking place with this man we call the rich young ruler. You guys ready to get a little bit deeper this morning? You ready to apply some scripture to your life today? This is a message that I've been wrestling with. I was up late last night putting the touches on it, and I was back up early this morning changing it again. And generally when I find myself wrestling with it, it's because this really needs to be communicated. Sometimes it means I need to hear it for myself too. So the rich young ruler, he's, he's what you'd call a self-made man. He's wealthy. He's got it together. I mean, does he have a need financially? Probably not. After all, he's wealthy. He's self-sufficient. Able to take pride in his status. Able to take pride in his accomplishments in his bank account, in his ability to do whatever he needs to do whenever he wants to do it. That's the beauty of having wealth. You're not bound by some of the issues and concerns that people that don't have money have. And so the rich young ruler, like anybody, including you and I, who has means and has resource, the challenge is to not put your faith and your trust and your hope in your means and your resource. We call that pride. On the surface, it looks like Jesus has an issue with rich people, and he doesn't. For everybody that's sitting here today, if you are rich awesome. If you are rich by American standards, awesome. Globally, P.S., we're all rich. In this room right here, you are in some of the most upper echelon of wealth in the entire world. But by American standards, maybe you, don't, you wouldn't consider yourself wealthy. Maybe you are. Well, I have great news for you. God loves you right where you are. And there is nothing wrong with having money. It's what money can do and the issue of the heart, the, the, the piece, the stick of gum that isn't being put in the package, so to speak, that Jesus is after. The word pride in 1828 Webster's Dictionary, we describe it as this, an unreasonable conceit of one's, of one's own superiority in talents, which manifests itself in lofty airs, distance, reserve, and contempt 
of others. It sounds horrible to be prideful. What a just disgusting quality. What a stench. Nobody wants to be considered someone to be full of pride. And it's easy to look at the rich young ruler and read the story from a distance. Finding nothing in common to share with this young man that Jesus looks at and loves. Pride is this unreasonable conceit that you put in your own talent and your own desire and your own ability that ends up creating distance and resistance between you and others. And so when we see Scripture talking about pride a great deal, humble yourselves, young men. Don't be prideful. Don't be haughty. Resist the proud. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. What we're talking about are people, you and I, might I add, putting too much trust and too much faith in our own ability, in our own strength, in our own capacity to do. And what happens when you find yourself feeling prideful is that it creates distance between you and God. Pride always produces distance in your relationship with God. I, I, I love this picture. I meant to bring a roll of tape with me today because this is what pride does. Pride, pride gets you looking at your own, your own strength. Let's just, talk, let's just call it like it is. Pride says, I got this. I got this. I can do this. I can handle this. I don't need you. I don't need them. I've got things under control. And when the rich young ruler goes to Jesus, what is it that he does? He, he looks at him and basically says, what are the requirements that I can do to make sure I have eternal life, that I might have real relationship with you? And so the, 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 the image that we get of, of having a relationship with God that the rich young ruler carries is like this idea of tape. We'll call, we'll call this black strip right here on the stage our roll of tape today. Now imagine you're trying to have relationship with the almighty God. And what this young man who's full of pride, who God also loves, what he doesn't understand is, is relationship with God isn't this line that you're just trying to get as close to as possible. What are the requirements that I can meet and I can give and no more? What is the minimum amount I can invest in this relationship with God and have eternal life and have true relationship with you? Pride says, what are the requirements? Pride says, what can I simply do to get it done, to have it, to check it off, and to make sure I, I'm locked and loaded because I've got to have my fire insurance because we know Jesus is coming back one day. And so I'm going to just skate up to the line and get as much kind of as close to this as possible, but I'm not really going to get in. I'm not going to dive into the deep end. That's for crazy people, the weird Christians, those who are 
really committed. See, (laughs) I don't need that. I got this. Just give me the minimum requirements. And Jesus, we good. Deuces. I'm out of here. Tracking with me? Because how many of us have grown up in an environment of faith? And yet somehow and somewhere in the midst of our heart, rather than truly understanding what it looks like to love God and to give him everything, we understand that relationship like a line that we're trying to skate up next to without really having to cross over. I just want to get as close as I can, give the minimum amount of requirement, and we're good. That's a little word that we call pride because everything is about you and your ability and your strength and your resource and your money and your talent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this morning, as we're looking at I Dare You as the series that we're in, here is my great challenge to you today is to give Jesus your pride. And not only am I asking you to do that, not only am I encouraging and praying for you to do it, I'm daring you to do it. To give Jesus everything you've got. The the thing that this man was holding back was his money. And God called him on it. Jesus called him on it. And Jesus is probably calling you on something as well. And the very thing, the hindrance inside of you that's, that's wanting to hold on, that, that would allow you to walk away from Jesus Christ discouraged and downcast and sad is this thing called pride. That you would hold on with your grip. And Jesus, the Spirit of God, even though we're not having this actual account with Jesus in the flesh, the presence of God would petition us to hold nothing back but to give him Everything. I had my, my church planting coach, in case you're wondering, this is a church plan. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> we put pipe and drape up, we retrofit the school, etc., because this is a portable environment, okay? And my church planting coach, David Houston, is somebody that I've known for a long time. When I was a rascally college student with no thoughts of pastoring or ministering or anything of the sort, I knew him. And he, he was, a, he was a, a pastor in our church. <laughs> and I was best friends with his son. And I'll never forget, knock, I rang the doorbell at their house and I was looking to hang out with, with you know, Jonathan, their son. And, and the door opened and it was Pastor David there and and, you know, he's expecting a young man of my age to say hi, to acknowledge him, to be respectful, to be kind. And I was on the phone just like this. And, and I literally, he was standing at the front door, and I just went, snapped my fingers at him, and just walked into the house. No hi, no acknowledgement, no anything. Just a grown man with significant ministry, might I add, traveling all over the world, speaking to the nations, pastoring people, training up leaders, and here I am, just all that in a bag of chips at the front door. What's up, man? I got this. Thanks, by the way. 
your house, my house. <laughs> and he pulled me aside. A couple of days later, he brought this account to attention. He did it very kindly. But he said, hey, if no one has ever talked to you about this before, let me, let me talk to you like a dad for a minute. Got a lot of pride. You're resting in your own ability a lot. I want to encourage you to trust God. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> just laid out the events. Oh, and I just, it was like a dagger in my heart. I literally just began to cry. I'd never had a grown man tell me to my face, I love you, but you're really arrogant and you're prideful. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. I needed to hear it because Jesus was after my pride that I would be humble before him that I wouldn't try, and this was me. I was that guy, inching up to the line, getting in my minimum requirements, and God was saying, bring it all. Give me everything. Give me everything you've got. Hold nothing back from me. Look how David describes his relationship with God. He says, you, God, in Psalm 63, 1, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David, I mean, the description of his relationship with God, it isn't that he has somehow grown in maturity and is therefore now independent. No, maturity as you grow in Christ looks like greater dependence. And David is describing his life. He says, man, God, without you, I'm like a desert my life is so dry. I'm dying to know you more. I'm, I'm thirsty. I'm begging you. Earnestly, I'm seeking you. I have to have more of you. These are the words of a man that's broken before a holy and mighty God, a man that's humble enough to say, I can't do this on my own. What requirements can I possibly meet to have relationship with you? No, 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 no. God, I am a barren wasteland, and you are the water of my soul. Earnestly, I seek you. I'm coming after you, God. I'm holding nothing back from you. Jesus reminds his followers in Mark 8, he says, he calls the crowd to him. This was just before the rich young ruler. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. Jesus calls us to give up what we cannot keep in order to gain what we cannot lose. Let's say that one more time. Jesus calls us to give up what we cannot keep, our pride, our life, our resources, everything. He calls us to give up what we can't keep in order to find and gain what we cannot lose, which ultimately is true and real and everlasting life. <laughs> 
The truth is my pride that says, hang on tight, hold on to all of this, do it yourself. What I'm really after is life. And I'm trying to produce water from this well over here. And the only water that will satisfy that thirst is over here with Jesus. And Jesus is calling you and he's calling me to pick up our cross. And that cross, let me tell you something, it requires two hands. And if we're going to pick that thing up and follow him, like he walked down the road carrying the cross on his shoulder, you're going to have to let go of some things. You're going to have to let go of your pride. You're going to have to let go of your dreams. And you're going to have to let go of your, your this and your that. You're everything in order to follow him. And I have great news for you. And it is actually great news. The very thing that you thought would give you life, it never will and it doesn't. But the amazing, miraculous thing about following Jesus is that when you pick up that cross by the power of the Holy Spirit and you begin to follow him, the very thing that you are hungry for and desperate for, you finally have. You have life. You have water in your soul that makes you new and that changes you. Tracking with me this morning. The other thing about the rich young ruler, the thing, the thing about wealth, the thing about resource, the thing about money, that is a good thing what can hurt you if you're not careful is that it gives you the capacity to dream. And hear this, when you have, when you've got some stuff coming in and you've got some wealth and you've got some riches and you've got a little substance, you can begin to think about life a little bit differently than you used to. And so you begin to dream about, about expansion and you begin to dream about the life that, that you could be living or soon to be living. And so you've got a little bit of something and you dream about a bigger house or you begin to dream about a better job or you, 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 you dream about the hot tub on the back deck and you begin to dream about life. Am I right? You dream about that vacation. And forget resource for a second. You might even be dreaming about getting married. You might be dreaming about having kids. You might be dreaming about promotion. You might be dreaming about winning. You might be dreaming about your, your sports team. You might be dreaming about your college this or that. You might be dreaming. You should. Dreams are really good. You need them. We need to bring our faith to God about them. And we need to bring our hope to God about them. But the thing that happens oftentimes in these kinds of contexts, we once again begin to try and draw life from the dream of what could be in the future. And then if you've ever seen someone, the, the very thing that they dreamt about and dreamt about and dreamt about, it doesn't come to pass. And what ends up happening, all of a sudden they find their faith shipwrecked. Because somewhere along the line, they began to put more faith in the dream of what could be than the faith of the person who gave them the dream in the first place. 
I've done that with ministry. I've done that with church planning. I've done that with family. I've done that with house. I've done that in everything you could possibly imagine. My dad died at the age of 51. And there are things that you have in your heart, even at a young age, church, that are dreams. And you may not think of them as such, but Jesus is knocking on the door for us to even give him those. That he would truly be the cultivator of the dreams in your heart. I'll explain. When my dad died at the age of 51, I I didn't realize how many dreams I had regarding the future of growing older with my father. And you don't think about the dreams in your heart of wanting your dad to know your wife. You don't think about the dreams that you have, that your, your, your father would know your, your children or that you'd be able to call him on the phone and talk about church or church planting or this knuckleheaded thing or this ridiculous joke or the insanity of politics. And I'll never forget the call that he had had a heart attack And I began to walk around this neighborhood that I was in. I was out of town at the time with with Amy. We had just started dating. We were at her grandparents' house, actually, Thanksgiving. I began to pace this neighborhood before getting in my car and going. And I just began to pray, God, I'm not ready. Please don't do this. Please don't take my dad. You don't realize the dreams that are in your heart. My dad passed, and I felt over the next coming months the the Holy Spirit just reminding me and bringing me to a place where I could even give him, where I could give God those dreams that I had had that weren't even going to come to pass anymore. Because what happens, like pride Like the pride that gets rooted in your heart, distance gets made. But when you have dreams that you put your faith in more than you put your faith in Jesus, what ends up happening is is you can begin to grow resentful and you can begin to grow bitter and all of a sudden distance begins to grow again. And today, this morning, as we talk about giving God everything, the very two things that I felt God petitioning us as a church to give him afresh was our pride and the dreams in our heart. Because if anything has a sneaky way of latching on, like the little stick of gum that you think is unimportant, that's insignificant, oh, no, 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 no. So much flows out of hanging on to your pride and putting all of your faith in your dreams. I'm thankful we serve a good God and a great God. But more than trusting what could be, I trust Him. And I trust Him now, in the moment, in the day. 
Jesus first. And so when I wake up in the morning, it's, it's Jesus first. God, I'm trusting you for today. I'm not worrying about tomorrow. I am humbling myself before you in the now. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. And the sun comes up and the sun goes down and, and it's a new day. And God, I choose to humble myself and trust you for this day. And I am picking up my cross and I'm following you for this moment. And I'm trusting you, God, for what could be. But ultimately, you are the shaper of my destiny. You are the one who sculpts my future. And far be it from me to try to make my requirements to have relationship with you. I give you everything today. My pride, my life, my resource, my relationships, my children, my job, my promotion, my stress, my anxiety, my fear, my hopes, my failures my pain, everything. Everything. And when we give him everything, the very thing that we can't keep in the first place, give up what we cannot keep, we gain what we can never.